Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, and we're joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hey, hey guys. Hello, panel. Joining us today is Samaria. Here and queer. There's David. Black alert. I see Siobhan. Hey, everybody. We've got Greg joining us. Greetings. And DW. Loud and proud. Um, looks like uh, Axel unable to join us today. Axel is, uh, I, I understand, somewhere in a tent in the middle of New Jersey. Is that correct? Buh? Yeah, he's in this post-apocalyptic zombie LARP, running around beating people with uh, foam swords. And Okay, oh, well, that, may, that sounds a little us. more fun than being stuck in a tent in New Jersey. So I, I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the price he has to pay. For being able to do the the LARPing, just exactly, and we uh, didn't get an invite. So no. we're going to just dive right into this. We've got uh, episode six of the show, "The Flame of Tarvalon." Uh, this was written by Justine Jewell Gilmer and directed by Sally Richardson. And our first opening scene, uh, it's just uh, a young swan and her father uh, in a fishing village in Tyr. Uh, we see young swan wake up. Uh, she and her father go fishing. Um, her father finds a knot in the net and he's struggling with it and young Swan kind of, uh, channels and gets that, that knot out of the net for him. And, uh, his dad turns around, realizes what she does, does, and, uh, scolds her and says, you're not, not supposed to do that inside of the village, but, but you are getting better. What did we think of this scene? What are we thinking? I am always a sucker for father daughter love. And we now know who Moraine was talking about when she felt like she was near death. Swan. Ooh. I was fascinated by the tattoos. Yeah, me too. I, yeah. I noticed that we have another uh, mirror of real world culture and we've got this nice Maori tattoo setup going on. Mm -hmm. I'll admit I missed a detail completely not being a regular fisher. I thought she was trying to tie a knot for him and then failed when I saw the, the ropes fall. So I thought it was she was learning. I didn't uh. realize he was trying to get out not. So like I watched and I'm like, <laughs> oh, dang, she almost had it. And then he looked back <laughs> and like had that look on his face. I'm like, what, is he going to get pissed at her for it? No. So I, I missed a bit of it. Um, I understand it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to detangle knots with one hand. That's... Yeah, that's tricky. Definitely. Well, that's true. the thing is it looked like with his teeth, it looked like he was trying to tighten a knot, which is what gave me the impression. But he was trying to pull that section out. So I get it. I, I got it after that scene, but I, I feel embarrassed to admit that. Hey, no, I even, even with two hands, I've resorted to using my teeth to try to untangle a knot. So I understand him completely. Yeah. <laughs> So then we see them uh, returning home after their day of fishing, uh, and they find out that their house has been burned down, and there's uh, a, a, a familiar-looking logo etched in what's what's left there. Uh, what did we think? Somebody was watching. Somebody's been watching, and they were waiting yes. to do that one. It was yeah. the Fire Nation. <laughs> my my first thought it was that the Trollocs had come through town, but um, on rewatching, I figured it must be neighbors who are giving a warning. We don't yes. like channelers here. That's yes. a hell of a warning, though. Burn your house down. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a little more than a warning, I think. Yeah, it seems like there's a massive fear of magic users in this world. Yeah. And that the end that we keep hearing about now is has been escalating for many years at this point. Perhaps the the um, warnings have already been given. Ah, yeah. this, this might not be the first warning is what you're yeah. thinking. Could be because P- Papa was well... Uh, <laughs> was well upset when it's like you you did it with in view of the of the village, but you're yeah. getting good. But yes, <laughs> he 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 knew the stakes. Yeah, so I wanted to bring up uh, that symbol that we've we've seen a few places now that that half of the the yin yang logo that that we've seen everywhere. Um, when it's drawn point down like that, that's known as the dragon's fang. And that is considered a, a mark of ill luck, uh, like a dark mark to put on somebody's door. So if you come home and find the dragon's fang etched on your door, you know somebody's got it out for you. Uh-oh. So just a little bit of uh, cultural background there as to why that, that was there. Hmm. Um, so they talk for a minute, and he says, uh, well, th- they're going to keep coming for you, so you need to go to Tarvalon and, and get trained. and. She doesn't want to go, but she finally agrees, and and there she goes, and we get our opening credits. Um, I think we've probably exhausted the opening credits at this point, unless somebody really has something that they saw. Okay. I have one thing to add on that opening bit. Um, in the same way that when we saw the the supposed dragon and we weren't given a name, and I made the comment that the first thing we see in the next day is probably going to be about him. The fact that at the end they were talking about the Emerald Seat coming, as soon as we saw that thing, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the Emerald Seat. I knew the minute we saw her channel that this was the beginning, the backstory of the Emerald Seat. Oh, you're huh? good. <laughs> I didn't catch that at all. Me neither. I just caught that. It's like, okay, this is someone that Moraine really cares about. As a as a young child, so oh yeah, but it would, in the same way that the the um, uh, animated animated sequences seem to be uh, either foretelling or explaining something that already happened, whatever cliffhanger was left at the end of the episode seems to be where they pick up the next episode. Whatever unknown thing, if they start with something that you're like, I don't know these people, it's answering that question from what I've seen. Good observation. I'm going to remember that for the next episode. <laughs> So our first scene, uh, we're in the hall of the tower in the white tower. Um, and we get the introduction to our Amarillo seat. Uh, we get, uh, Liana standing up and, uh, uh, pretty much in this corner, hailing from the fingers of the dragon in tear, the watcher <laughs> of the seals, the flame of Tarvalon, the Amarillo seat, Swan and, uh, yeah, Swan comes swanning right in and, and has her seat. Uh, right and they bring in the false dragon. And they bring him to his knees in front of Swan. And she says, uh, why is he chained? He's been gentled. There are no chains necessary here. He is no threat. Uh, to which uh, Loghain looks up and, and kind of tries to make himself a threat. Pretty much uh, sticks his tongue out at the Amaral and says, <laughs> The Amarlin says, uh, okay, well, for that, uh, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to let you live a long, long life being studied here in the tower. We are not going to let you die. We're going to keep an eye on you and make sure that you're not allowed, that you can't die. And uh, that upsets Loghain greatly. Uh, what are we thinking? He changes his tune pretty quickly. 
Yeah. <laughs> she like, also mentioned studied. It's like, well, I guess we know what the the um, learned Ajas are going to be doing with their yeah. time. Did anybody else get the attempted death by cop feel from this? Very much so. Yeah. He would have had better luck uh, with Leandrin, I think. And it was interesting. Her dress is all gold. So she kind of has her own color, Aja-wise. But then uh, I know uh, Ruark mentioned kind of the costuming episode or two ago. You notice that all of the colors are in her collar. So she kind of has all of the Ajas at once. Yeah. Which yeah. I thought was interesting. Nice catch. Great Did observation. I? That's Somebody a good was one. trying to say something there. Yeah. Oh, I was... <laughs> so, two things. One, I finally met my favorite character. Um, <laughs> it's her. Like, just heart eyes immediately, especially when she started speaking. Um, and two, I think we... Like, or at least I'm starting to get a sense why everybody is so afraid of the Aes Sedai. You, you know, if you're yeah. capturing somebody and the merciful thing to do is kill them, that's, you know, that's really, that's really big. And so being studied, you know, my very American self, I'm thinking, you know, cultural osmosis, what does being studied mean in the movies? It means being tortured. It means being locked away in the white, you know, the white box. It means like being poked and prodded and being completely isolated and taunted. I'm like, okay, I don't know what the ice that I got going on, but if that is something worse than death, then, then it must, I must be close. I mean, I'm not going to say you're right. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but uh, I think you you definitely nailed onto a, a few things there. Probably he's got a sort of you know clockwork orange existence waiting for him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Fun. that's a good way yeah. to put it. Not yeah. the bug V. <laughs> uh, um, I the two things I noticed about like I know that um, I think it was David noticed the the costuming being gold. I noticed her ring gem was gold. Mm. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out what color. And one of the things that kind of threw me is I thought she was a former green because we have the empty seat in the greens. And Mm. so I thought whoever was Amarillin, maybe that meant that your your color only has two seated Aes Sedai while you're Amarillin. Like it was an an interesting like balance, I thought. And then now I'm thinking that was the green that passed in the battle. Yeah, I think that Kareni's seat was empty there. And that she was one of the top three. That was said. I missed that. So, but it took me a moment. I thought it was. And then when they mentioned that she was blue, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So then why is the green? And I I came to the, that, um, but I did know every time they did the aerial view, there's stones in the floor of the colors of Mm -hmm. the, the seven colors. Mm -hmm. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Great set design. So continuing on with our, our recap, uh, the the Amerlin, uh get dresses down Alana, Maureen, and Leandrin. Uh, pretty much says, "Hey, you you were supposed to bring him back here for trial, not just gentle him out in the wilds." What's going on? Uh, to which Leandrin says, "Hey, you didn't see what he did to our sister, and and you can see a look on her face that she took this very personally." And uh, Alana and Maureen actually back her up in this statement, which which causes a lot of consternation down the road, as we're about to see. What are we thinking right now? Well, part of Leandrin's thing, this is one that she, you know, that the, the Amberlin knows about. 
you know, it's like maybe if you keep digging, you'll find all these other, you know, guys that have been gentled uh, out in the wild without a trial. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, she's trying to CYA here. Yeah, she definitely was posturing there quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so continuing on, uh, Leandrin then decides to uh, get a little hammy out there on the on the on the stage, and she starts saying, "Well, what's up with uh, Nynaeve, this person that Moraine brought back, and what's up with Moraine anyway? Why why is she never around, and what is she even doing out there? She's going out of the out of the tower for years at a time. We don't know what's going on." Um. And, you know, she, she kind of wonders why Moraine gets all this free reign and uh, makes the, the mention that uh, Swan, our Amberlin seat, used to be a blue, which gets a lot of gasps from the gallery. Uh, did anybody yes. notice that? I yeah. did notice that. I guess that's something that they're not supposed to do. It's like once you've moved on, you don't have a party anymore. You don't have a – you're not supposed to yeah. show any allegiance very much so. Once the Amarillin is raised, they they no longer have an Aja. They are of all Ajas and none. And so mentioning the the former Aja of the Amarillin is is just a strict no-no. So Leandrin doing that in the Hall of the Tower was was a big breach of protocol. It it struck me that she was taking a big risk by doing that. She's trying to mm-hmm. divert attention towards Moraine. Um so that Moraine gets smacked down and she's doing it by almost saying straight out, you have to not show favoritism towards her because she's a blue or else everyone will think. Well, mm-hmm. Oddly, it works because there's no conversation further in the episode about the punishment for Lorraine. That never get like she talks about that she's going to hand down her punishment for, for, for Leandrin. Leandrin. Yeah. There, there's there's talk about the punishment that she's supposed to get tomorrow, and then she brings up Moraine, and suddenly there's no talk of of uh, Leandrin anymore. It's yeah. all about Moraine. So uh, you know, props to her for proper blame pass. She is a slick one. I was wondering about that too. I was wondering why we never got to see Leandrin's comeuppance, but uh, maybe it happened off screen. Maybe it didn't happen at all. Who knows? That, I, that was my assumption. Was there a comeuppance for Leandrin in the books? None of this happened in the books. Okay. So I, I, I couldn't tell you. This is, this is kind of a, the, the, this, this entire episode is, is stuff that did not necessarily happen in the books in the way that it's happening here, but they are kind of, condensing a lot of plot points into what they're telling here. So I, I, I couldn't tell you what, what is happening there because it is, it is enough. different enough from the books that I don't have that answer. Okay. Um, so uh, continuing on, uh, Swan then starts to grill Moraine and, and ask her, okay, well, what have you been doing out there? Moraine says, I can't say, I just cannot say, I will not answer. Um, and Swan is finally like, look, get down on your knees. I know you think you're queen shit, but you are not. I am queen shit and, uh, you're going to get punished. I'm going to think on this and punish you tomorrow. And that's the end of our scene. What, what are we thinking at this point? So my second time watching through this, it occurred to me that after knowing what happens later in the episode, Swan's testing her loyalty there. She's kind of trying to find Mm -hmm. out if, Moraine's going to give up the secret of what those two are doing. And I don't know if that's because she's 
worried that that might happen because she hasn't seen her in a while or what's going on there. But I think she was testing her there and Moraine rightly holds her tongue. You know, I, well, not exactly the same thought, but my second time watching it, you know, I realized there were two meanings for can't. And so I was thinking to myself that she mean can't as, and she honestly, you know, cannot say because she is bound not to, for whatever reason, the reason why we figured out later, or is it can't because she doesn't know. And I mean, it could, it could be both, but, um, same, same line of thinking, I think. Well, that's valid. Cause I mean, we already know that there are things that can completely just prevent them from like lying. We know that, that there are spells that have just automatic power. So can't maybe that's an interesting thing. She may have taken an oath. Yeah. She might've taken an oath. So our next scene, we're now outside the hall as, as uh, Maureen is leaving and Alana comes up to her and says, look, you need to apologize to her while you can, you need to make this right. And Maureen is just like, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do that. That's not going to happen. Do you, do you notice that Alana is eating a persimmon there? Yes. Like, I kind of <laughs> wondered if that was a, a backhanded <laughs> way of saying that, um, Leandrin got her way with Alana in that exchange. Yep. That's a good point. I hadn't even noticed that. Good, good, good find there. <laughs> I just um, assumed that Alana is just this massive hedonist. She's always like she was eating in the in the room. Earlier <laughs> and she's got two orders. <laughs> yeah, and you know they had that person at the ready. <laughs> uh, so, and then our Mean Girls Club, uh, our, our Red Sisters, show up and and just kind of ha ha. You got in trouble with mother, and that's the end of our scene. We move on and we're back at the inn uh, where Rand and Matt are staying and uh, Moraine is uh, at a nearby cafe sipping tea and Lan comes back and obviously Lan has been scouting, says uh, he's worse than expected and and leads Moraine back to Rand's room. Rand's like, uh, hey, what's up, Nynaeve? Oh, you're not Nynaeve. And uh, Lan's like, yeah, it's nice to see you too, sheep herder. I, 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 I liked Lan's response there. Just uh, a little bit of humor from Lan goes a long, long way. If no, I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. He's what we, we uh, my, my friends used to call a joke sniper person. who's kind of quiet, kind of quiet, kind of quiet. They wait for that one moment. And then a one liner. So Moraine says, uh, how long has Matt been all weird and shadowy like that? And Rand is like, you stay the hell away from Matt. I know what you're trying to do. You're not going to gentle him and, and, and do all of your Aes Sedai stuff and pulls out his sword, um, which Lan immediately reacts to. Did, did anybody else notice how quickly Lan was on top of that situation? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know Rand, what Rand was thinking, but uh, I, I would not have been feeling comfortable in that moment. And if you notice, Lan stood there with his arms at his sides while Rand held his sword to him and Lan was not in any way perturbed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, with the quickness he had to disarm him, he could easily parry any attack also. So I'm not sure he was that worried about it. Y- yeah, Lan was not worried in this situation at all. We've seen Rand's skill with a bow. We don't know that necessarily he's that good with a sword. It's <laughs> yeah. not a sword. Rand may be like, I don't think uh, he as long is. as it's not a bow in your arms, I'm good. Well, I mean, I think the fact that he was holding that sword one-handed probably tells us that he's not very good with that <laughs> Definitely. <sword>. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's this episode. It's, it's, it's Rand's turn to be a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah, they have to take turns with, with the dumbass hat for, for a little while each. Yeah. 
the one brain cell. He was not in possession of it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Maureen is hovering over Matt and Matt like reaches out to attack her with, with the knife and uh, Moraine takes this minute, uh, just takes this moment to just trap Matt in a flow of air and, and grab the knife away from him in another flow of air and, and realizes, Oh, you stupid boy, you took something from Shatter Logoth, didn't you? And, and what are we thinking now? I get the feeling that this is not the last time we're going to hear you stupid boy out of Moraine directed towards <laughs> Matt and his show. <laughs> And she's going to be saying it to Matt, and she's going to be saying it to Rand. Probably parent at some point. Probably, probably, (laughs) but uh, definitely those two. Definitely the dumbass twins. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Definitely was the darkness from Shardar Lugoth that was holding him hostage this whole time. Yes, very much so. As as we see in the next scene, as she pulls that darkness out of him and and uh, sends it back into the dagger. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but as she pulled it out of him, it, it was trying to enter her mm-hmm. before she could force it into the dagger. And that yeah. was, that was an interesting, uh, interesting. And specifically goes for the mouth, almost like a kiss yeah. in the same way that like it was dripping out of his mouth. So there's an mm-hmm. interesting like oral access to that particular curse. And it looked at one point like it was trying to get, like it was fighting her. It was trying to get back into Matt because it looked like the black flow kind of started backing up at one point, almost like a tentacle. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to try and take the easiest path to the most corruptible being it has available to it. Yeah. Mm. So I imagine this tells us that curses are a thing, like cursed items are a thing. Uh, cursed items from Shatter Lagoth are a thing. Okay. So, uh, Rand has a, a conversation with Moraine after the, all this happens and says, uh, so Matt can't channel. And Moraine says, well, I don't know that, that we don't have proof that he can, but we don't have proof that he can't either. And, and that dagger should have really killed him weeks ago. And the fact that he's still alive kind of, you know, there's some strength that it's drawing on there. And, uh, Rand is obviously bummed by this news, hoping, hoping that he finally gets news that Matt cannot channel. Um, and then, uh, Nynaeve shows up and, and gets catty and, and gets very, very mad at Moraine for, for showing up and messing with her friends. Cause she wanted to keep her friends safe from Moraine. And, uh, Moraine is, is saying, look, if I hadn't showed up, your friends would be dead. So, uh, instead of being a wisdom, or instead of being a wisdom, trying to try being a wisdom <laughs> and that joke could have gone over better. i'm gonna send that i'm gonna send that one back to the writers we'll 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 see if we can find something better next time it looks it looks good on paper it's just it's hard to it's hard to make that one happen (laughs) um so that's the end of that scene and i wanted to take a minute uh just to talk about channeling uh because if you notice i said that she used flows of air to to hold matt and the dagger in that scene um so I wanted to take a minute to, to explain how channeling works. Um, within the one power, there are five elemental powers that, that you can access. Um, the, the four elements that we all generally know and love, uh, wind, fire, earth, water, um, and then a fifth element, which is spirit. And all weaves are made of these five elements. So when I said in the first episode that the, the magic system 
is very similar to the magic system in Avatar. That that's what I meant. We're we're dealing with the same elements, kind of the Captain Planet set of elements, as it were, because you've got the, you know spirit and heart as well. Uh, DW, you have a question. Well, the question that comes to my mind now is there are seven Ajas mm-hmm. and five sources of magic. Is there any tie between different elements and different Ajas? Or is do all Ajas use all elements? No, no. All, all Aes Sedai, all magic users use all elements. Um, they can be stronger in one or two than the others, um, but it, it's not a case of you can only access What's that? Is that consistent within an Aja? In other words, like, are all blue Aja better with water or something? Like, understanding that they all can use it. No, no, not, not so much. No, no. Okay. No. Um, there are uh, gender divides, though. Uh, women tend to be stronger in air and water, whereas men tend to be stronger in earth and, and fire. Interesting. Um, these, but that's not a hard and fast rule, and they both tend to be equally, equally strong in spirit. Gotcha. Um, so, so all things that they do with the power are woven from those five elements in, in one way or another. It could use one, two, three, four, or all five of the elements in the weave, but that's what everything starts as. So, so what made you sure that that particular one was air was just because there was no water, fire, or earth being used? Uh, because that's a, that, that is a common thing that the I said I use is, is flows of air to just bind somebody to keep them from moving, uh, keep them from being a danger. From what you've seen so far, and I know I want to go back and look, mm-hmm. when they've used other elements, is there any difference to the smoky? Uh, I, I have not noticed a, a difference. No. Okay. I, Interesting. I, okay. I was personally hoping they were going to use slightly different colors for for to indicate different uh, elements going into the weaves, but I guess they d- decided not to get that far into it. Interesting. So I'm okay. I'm thinking back on that battle in Two Rivers where Moran was fighting, and so she very obviously was using fire in some mm-hmm. of her attacks, and possibly when she was pulling the inner part to throw rocks at the Trollocs, that was her channeling earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. Then Alana uses the ground when she's uh, attacking the forces of Loghain. Right. right. She shoots the ground at them. Right. So interesting and explodes the ground at them very much. So <laughs> I was so happy. I wasn't on the episode that the guy got blown 20 feet in the air. And I was so happy when I listened back and somebody brought it up because that would just <laughs> it took me away watching how high that one guy went. Oh yeah. The stuntmen go for it. Yeah. Hopefully that stunt guy got an extra bonus for that one. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> you got a bump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You got to bump somewhere. Cutting back to our timeline, uh, we are now in the tower baths. Uh, we've got Moraine and Mygen. Uh, Mygen's talking to Moraine in there. She's like, you know, uh, a couple of spies meeting in a steam bath. Isn't it, this a little bit cliche? Why, why am I meeting you here? Great Eastern and, promises. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Moraine says, well, uh, I've been on the road a long time. Give me some indulgences, okay? I want a bath which I don't blame her for myself. Spies in a spa. <laughs> Mygen is saying, uh, Swan has gone mad. Um, you and Alana both spoke up for Leandrin. Ships are disappearing off the West Coast. Aeel are on this side of the spine of the world. Trollocs invaded the two rivers, and an Aes Sedai sank the Terran Ferry. What is going on? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Pigs are flying. Yes. 
she goes on to say, we also don't know what you're doing out there. What gives? Uh, look, uh, we're, we're tired of, of your what, whatever you think you're doing. You're, you're getting put back on desk duty right here in the tower, and, and you're not going out anymore. Turn in your badge and gun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she also says, we want you here because you have value to us. Did anybody catch that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounded to me like she thought she was doing Moraine a favor. Like you don't have to go riding a horse all over creation anymore. You can be back here in the tower where all Aes Sedai want to be. Mm-hmm. Almost like this is a reward. Well, and she mentions it as home. And we already know Moraine doesn't think of the tower as home from previous episodes. Right. I caught but that I get too. I the feeling like other people have mentioned that she is a possible uh, challenge for the seat of Amaranth. Um, Amaranth seat, sorry. And I... Uh, so I have a feeling like there's some popularity of Moraine. While there are people who don't like her, there are definitely some people within the powers that be that do. And I think she knows that and wants to keep her here is like, you're a political pawn that we could be moving around or even a higher piece that we could be using. If not liked, then at least respected and or feared. True, true. There's there's so many scenes that really emphasize how much the different Aja are fighting. And it's... Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene where she's saying like a green and a blue standing up for a red. When has that ever happened? And it's just, it's really disturbing to think of you have this incredibly poor, powerful organization with these magic users who can literally blow people up and they're having this internal battle at this exact moment in time. Yeah. Sounds about right. What really stuck out to me is Mayan saying we owe the Amarlin seat our loyalty because she was once one of us. And so, yes, on paper, it's like the Amarlin seat must be neutral. Um, She can't play, you know, favorites, but obviously whoever, like whichever sex she comes from, you know, they band together and Mm -hmm. they go hard for. And so my gang saying, I know you hate her, which in hindsight is funny, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I know you hate her, but you know, we need her. I can help you with this. You know, you won't, you don't have to be in trouble. Um, I've got the inside track. Well, that that we know you hate her line is also so painful when you know that that's how good she's had to act. Mm-hmm. that's how secret they've had to keep this in the fact that people have believed her performance, that she hates the seat mm-hmm. for decades. We, we know that's not true. God, well, they, are, that they are that both hurt. spies. So, well, it also told me like that moment when she said, or when she basically was saying that she didn't know what she was doing out there was like, I had thought she was doing some big blue secret. And it's like, no, it's not a blue secret. Blue doesn't know what she's doing. Who's the secret for? And mm. then started putting things together. There you go. Oh, you're quicker than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't pick up on the fact that she was important to Moraine from the beginning. I think other Me people neither. picked that one up. So I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't either. All right. So on to our next scene. Uh, now we're in the yellows quarters. Um, and we've got a yellow sister uh, leads Moraine to uh, Perrin and Egwene. We're there, and uh, she sees Baron and Egwene, and and Egwene asks about Matt and Rand, and Moraine says very truthfully, um, I have people watching for Rand and Matt, and I have it on very good authority that they are alive. My wife and I were like, what is she playing at at this point? Like, if she's not telling them that 
they're all in the city. Something is going on here. But in order to word that sentence that way, that means she must have people that she has not told her there and has told to look for them. Because she has to have people that are currently looking well, for them, even well, we, though she we, knows we where they are. We already knew that she put out an order to her eyes and ears to keep an eye out for them. Mm-hmm. She, you know, th- th- she never has to necessarily say, by the way, stop looking for them. Exactly. But that's the thing is she had didn't tell them because if she had said, oh, I found them, it's okay, that sentence then wouldn't be true. Yeah. So she oh. specifically did not tell people to stop looking so she'd be able to say that kind of a lie, which is an interesting, I guess, when you've got years of practice of not being able to lie, you find ways to make the truth work for you. Yeah. I'm just so, so happy to have a Slytherin in the mix because all these <laughs> Gryffindors are getting on my last nerve. <laughs> <laughs> a fellow Slytherin, I, I'm right there with you. I I took that, um, she did that for two reasons. One, because she knows that if she specifically tells the 20-year-olds, do not go running out in public to find your friends, she has no guarantee that they're not going to do exactly that. Yeah. And the other is she doesn't necessarily know how secure this room is. She knows that she has spies there because they told her mm-hmm. that the two people she was looking for showed up. But as we later find out, other people also know that these kids are in town. Yeah, yeah the red so. spies are impressive. For them not being spies, she got a lot of info. <laughs> yeah, I, I had notes on that later, too. I'm like, are we sure Leandrin's not a blue? Did the sorting hat, like, screw up on this one? Because she's got a network of her own. I mean, yeah, you tend I, to hate what what is most like you. And so, you know, oh, hey. Yeah, that was a good ballad. Yep, I remember an old uh, cop show called Undercover Blue. Mm. So uh, Egwene then gives uh, Moraine uh, Eamon Valda's collected rings, um, which Moraine is very happy to receive. And uh, Egwene implies that she killed Eamon Valda, which none of us are believing, right? No. Yeah, I don't Not at it. all. I think she she might think she has. Yeah, she, but, th- she uh, thought she did, but uh, we all know that we didn't see him die on screen. Apparently, so. wisdoms don't really cover anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The, the heart's directly in the shoulder. Right. Yeah. 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 Look, she studies anatomy for healing, not anatomy for killing. That's, That's those are true. two different anatomies, okay? That's so if you need true. to heal the heart, go straight for the shoulder is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, exactly, yes. It's a chakra thing or something. I really like the contrast between um, how Egwene uh, greets Moraine compared to everybody else. Like Matt and uh, Rand are trying to hide from her. And Eve is really suspicious. Egwene's like, oh, thank God you're here. Let me tell you everything. (laughs) (laughs) She's such a follower in this episode. Her and Rand both. Like... Rand is ready to draw a sword at her and then has an open conversation and is thanking her later and then becomes the soldier for her later. And same with Egwene. Like, as soon as she's, like, at Nynaeve's side, ready to go with Nynaeve, and then she gets the pep talk and off with another direction. So those two are really, really uh, able to be influenced very easily, I think. Hmm. Well, I'd also say uh, the... the Egwene just got out of an experience where her being able to channel better would have possibly made the tide go completely differently. Mm -hmm. So there may be a side of her that's like, I need to learn more about this stuff because I can't have that. They're already apparently able to tell that I can do it. So I might as well get trained in it. Good point. 
So uh, Maureen then goes over to Perrin and, and looks and says, uh, yeah, the yellows, they're going to heal this thing so hard. Like, like you're not even going to notice that there was anything there when, when, when they're done. And Egwene says, yeah, well, on the outside anyway. She, she, she was there. She knows that, that the biggest wound was not on the outside. Oh, yeah. She, um, she, heard the, she heard the confession. She knows that the flaying is not the thing that needs healing. Yes, very much so. Um, and then uh, to continue on that, that note that David had uh, uh, about uh, Egwene being very, very much uh, on Maureen's team, she just offers up the information about Perrin and, and his eyes. Um, she's like, um, hey, uh, when we were in there, his, his eyes went all golden like a wolf's. Uh, what's up with that? And, uh, uh, and also some very, very happy looking wolves showed up and, and <laughs> killed these white cloaks. Um, do you know what's going on with that? And Egwene's like, is he, could he be the dragon? And Moraine's like, you know, I have no idea. I mean, who knows what the dragon can do? So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to send for you tomorrow. Uh, don't tell anybody where I, where, where I want you to go, but, uh, I'm going to send for you tomorrow and leaves. Yeah. And I think that, uh, Siobhan's point about them not rushing into the streets to find the others was probably a good a good point is mm-hmm. thinking back to Shadar Lagoth, they got told specifically stay right here. And of oh, course, yeah. all of them anything. just ran right off. Yeah. What, what, what's a kid going to do when you tell them to sit still and stay in one spot? They steal daggers from <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the amount of daggers I find in my son's bed. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I only gave him like three of those, okay? You can't blame me for the other ones. Where did two come from? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. So uh, we go back to Moraine's quarters in the tower now um, and we see Lan come rushing in and he's, he's like, you masked our bond. And Moraine's like, well, you know, we've been on the road for two years. You've had the bond going uh, kind of constantly. I figured, you know, maybe you could take a break. And uh, Lan's like, the tower isn't safe. You know the tower isn't safe. And she's like, uh, look, the Two Rivers kids need your help more than I do. Go uh, go, go protect them. And Lan finally kind of uh, clues into what's going on. And he says, okay, be back by dawn. And Moraine says, is that an order? To which Lan is pretty much like, English, do you speak it? Yes, that was an order. <laughs> but it was another sign of their friendship, their connection. Yeah. Like the, how, how they both can kind of give each other orders. It's interesting. This was yeah. very, very mom and dad equals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he says, I'll, I'll stand watch, give her my love. Um, and he leaves. And uh, we see Moraine go over to that painting that uh, she ended the other episode with. Um does some channeling mumbo jumbo and walks through it to find Swan waiting for her in a reed hut. Uh, what are we thinking at this moment? 
I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. So last week I told my girlfriend, I was like, listen, honey, she's gay. I was like, she is even bisexual, perhaps. Um, And she was like, yeah, honey, you're right. I'm like, okay, I know I'm right. And, you know, all during this episode, she's just been walking around very homoerotically and looking extremely (laughs) bisexual. And, you know, me being gay, I'm like, oh, I'm looking respectfully, but I'm looking. And then it turns out I was right. Now, I wasn't right about who she was, you know, McFreak gay with. But you know what? I was right. Then I was very excited, just delighted. (laughs) This is all I've been talking about all month. <laughs> no, who I agree with that she question. Was into? Yeah, uh, what, what DW just said. Who was she into? You in know, I didn't know. I just assumed it was just a trail of beautiful women through all these towns for the last twenty years. Um, <laughs> you know, you know straight, that, 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 straight guy or two, but I, I I knew it was somebody. We have the James hearts. Bond of the Aes Sedai <laughs> world. <laughs> the two things I noticed at the beginning of the scene were one, this was clearly not in the tower. Right. And it yeah. may have even been back in Swain's like hometown. That's where Swans, I think. Swan's hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was she was practicing her knots, which I thought was cool. She had a little <laughs> knotting tool and was doing a little like creating a net next to her that she puts down when she walks in. I thought that was really a nice touch. And the I other thing that, that I noticed is that, uh, Moraine takes her ring off before she enters and both of them don't have their ring and don't have any colors in this space. Mm. Like they've left that entire world behind. Nice. Well, I, I think we might want to point out as uh, somebody else noticed that uh, they're back where Swan is from, which if we remember was not very uh, accommodating to people who can channel. Yep. Yep. So uh, what what do we think about how she got there? Do you have, do you oh, have any cool. thoughts, any theories about what's going on there? I was wondering um, if it was physical or if it was kind of like a metaphysical space. Like a projection, I didn't get the, astral yeah, projection I didn't, kind of I didn't get the impression that they were actually getting transported anywhere, that it was kind of just this under layer of space or subspace that they could enter. Out yeah. of the normal, like like a pocket universe of its own. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's actually some physicality there. So, yeah. oh, of course, if there's nothing physical, you know, then uh, that doesn't look like what they were doing. <laughs> they were doing <laughs> look like it was purely, you know, purely of the flesh. I'm going to clue you in on what's happening there because I feel like this is a good place to explain magical items. Um, there are three types of magical items in this world. Um, they are known as Angrial, Sa-Angrial, and Tur-Angrial. Angrial uh, can look like anything, and they allow a channeler to channel more of the one power than they would have been able to channel unaided. Um, a Sa-Angrial is the same as an Angrial, only it it's orders of magnitude more powerful. So as much as you can channel with an Angrial, you can channel that much again with a Sa-Angrial on an order of magnitude. Then our third level is Turangrial. Turangrial are just things. They're gadgets. They're doodads that do stuff. Some of them require you to channel into them to work. Some of them will work for anybody if you just push a button or pull a trigger type thing. Um, but they all use the one power in some way. Interesting. So that painting that they used, if you notice, 
in Swan's chambers later in, in this episode, she has a very similar painting in her room. Those paintings are Turangrial that they can channel into them and it allows them access to where they're going. And I assume the oath rod is also a Turangrial. Correct. So you have your, your, your tall grande and venti. <laughs> More like tall grande and toolbox. <laughs> take a toolbox and bucket. We'll have a bucket. Uh, so I just wanted to, I, I figured this was a good, good place to bring up that uh, so that when they show up again later down the road, you'll have an idea what's going on. So then would the dagger be considered one of those three? Would it be the third, in other words? Um, I don't know about the third, because, you know, what? It, I, I will tell you straight up, the, the dagger is not an angry all of any sort. Okay. Um, but it, it would have been fun to watch you guys go down that, that road a while, but I figured that would, that I'd just save you that, that trip. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, it seems like, yeah, what was, what was coming from, uh, from the, you know, from the forbidden city was not necessarily that same type of magic. Yeah. Yeah. You it know. doesn't feel like it's related to the power. It feels like it's related to that just evil. Yeah. It's a little more blocky and, you know, surfacey. More so than that ethereal, you know, even the wispy smoke, even the black wisp, wispy smoke that the false dragon was was emanating. Uh, you know, it just seemed a little seemed a little different. Yeah. Uh, so we get Swan and Moraine. They're in, they're in their little space, and uh, Swan's like, "Damn it, Moraine, what's going on?" And uh, Moraine's look like, "Sorry, I I didn't know what else to do. That's that's." what we had to do. Um, sorry, mother. And Swan is like, I hate it when you call me mother and they devolve into a kissy part. And as my spouse likes to say, I hate the kissy parts. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, they decide to play charades. So, uh, Moraine rain does her best Zod impersonation and uh, Swan (laughs) does a Nancy Reagan impression. And, uh, That is such an unromantic way of describing that scene. <laughs> I was sitting on the couch squealing. I was too, Siobhan. I, you know, I was like, "Ooh, they're kinky," or at least Maureen's the kinky one. Well, well, the thing I really liked about that scene was, you know, earlier you had in front of the Hall of the Tower Swan demanding Maureen get down on her knees and kiss the floor, and 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 you know, here we have the roles completely reversed. Playful playback or uh, payback. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it's also, there are a lot of, lot of uh, points to the fact that in people who have power very often enjoy the fantasy of them not being in control. That is, that is a, a thing psychologically where people who have a lot of responsibility like to be more submissive in a sexual nature because it's a release of that power. It's a moment that they can let somebody else take the reins and they know they're safe. Hey, well, Swan was practicing knots, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope okay. Moraine can untie them. <laughs> what would she want to? Who knows? Well, <laughs> so I've got in my notes to talk about pillow friends for a minute. So we're going to talk about pillow friends. Um, in the books, there are gay people. 
uh, gay people of different stripes exist, but they aren't really directly mentioned. Um, one of the one of the most direct mentions is pillow friends with quotes around it, which is what they would call uh, uh, women in the tower who who had a friend that they would share a pillow with, if you catch my meaning. And uh, Robert Jordan was very explicit that, yes, it did mean that they they had a sexual relationship. But he also wrote it into the book kind of like uh, it was a thing that they did in college when they were novices. And by the time they became full Aes Sedai, they kind of graduated out of doing that kind of thing. Experimenting so, in college kind of grand. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it, it was... For the time that the novels were published, it was great representation that that you know gay people were even mentioned at all. Uh, for now, it's not as great of representation, so they decided to bump that up a little bit. And one of those uh, uh, pillow friend relationships that we know of from the books, from back when they were um, just novices, was Swan and Moraine. And this is something that a lot of the fans have been saying, you know, hopefully they update it for, for modern times and we get to have Swan and Moraine still be in a relationship rather than just giving it up. And they did. And I am so thrilled for it. Nice. And I just wanted to, to bring that up to show the, the, the differences between the book and, and how they're doing it on screen and how I think they're, they're really updating it for the time and, and keeping it true to the, to the source. That's cool. Nice. Well, it was well done. I am. Um, just really appreciated how natural it felt, um, you know, in a lot of queer media or in media where there's queer relationships, it just feels maybe not necessarily forced, but it feels like someone's either trying to prove a point or they're doing it for themselves and just being very, you know, I am here, which is, which is good. You know, readers need that. Watchers need that. Creators need that. But it's very rare and I think this might be the first time I've ever seen it where I didn't feel like the queer couple, the queer persons in question um, are just kind of being made an example of, you know, mm -hmm. good or bad. And so it was just very natural, very organic. I got to love it. And it just felt like, yes, this is this belongs in the universe and no one's going to blink an eye. Well, they actually, they might, they will probably blink many eyes because of who's involved here. But, you know, the, the fact that, you know, two women are in love and have been, that's not out of the ordinary or something to really harp on or bring attention to. Yeah. It's their position that's the issue, not their gender. Yes. Right. And it was very believable, like the way they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. I completely believe that they've been partners for years. Yeah, the cute banter with the the pufferfish nickname and the teasing Moraine for having her defensive spikes out. Like yes. that's that's not something you normally see with gay media right now. You don't see that like playful nature. It's usually all right, we're going to walk them in, have them kiss, talk about the fact they have a family or whatever and then move on to the yeah, next it's, scene. it's either they're a walk on walk off role or they're there for us to revel in their trauma kind of thing and, yeah, and this is or, just or exploitation, yeah, you exactly. know, purely for, you know, the erotic value. And this just felt very naturalistic. Yeah. It didn't feel exploitative. It didn't feel uh, forced. It was, yeah, it's great representation. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up that, that thing about uh, put your spikes away, little pufferfish, um, <laughs> because um, if you, I want you guys to really start paying attention to the swan from this point forward. Um, listen for those little sprinkles of, of, of salty language, as it were, like you, you can hear, you can hear the, the, the salt water on her tongue. 
Um, well, and and her a... dad was doing that too. And I really like that because in the books, Swan is just bringing out fish metaphors and, and fishing metaphors and stuff about <laughs> lines and lionfish and, and charting your shoals and all this stuff. Like for everything that comes up, she has some fish related metaphor to go with it. So some the fact that they're sprinkling a little bit of that in, it, it yeah, made, I, I will I, say, I, I noticed it. the salt and skin me. Yeah. Skin me yes. and salt. As skin me and salt me yeah. was a very, very, uh, uh, fishing village kind of comment that it was like, oh, okay, so I'm, we're getting more of that flavor of the cursing, but this one's flavored in the culture she's from. Yeah. And, and in the books, it was, it was almost to cartoon levels of comical, how, how much it was there, but I think they dialed it down to just the right amount in the show. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Cause if, you know, she's supposed to be the, <laughs> the head of everything. It's like, she can't just be sitting there making, you know, fish puns all day. So, uh, Swan, the next morning, uh, she, she asks how, how the search is going. And, uh, Maureen says, uh, well, I found, I got five with one blow five in one spot. Can you believe it? Um, and they, they talk about the fact that they have five people that they don't know which one's the dragon. And, uh, Maureen brings up the fact that she wants her to gleam and say, may tell a story about a five headed dragon. Ultron theory lives on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so who's on board with the Voltron theory at this point? Oh, it's oh absolutely. Yeah. Totally plausible. Uh, yeah, I get the idea that there are different aspects of the dragon. They seem to be pulling together different powers. Yep, they're not, they're not going to defeat the Dark One with a single finger. It's going to take a fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've got this for a few weeks now. I was like, it, it makes sense for it to be all five of them. And that's why all five of them were in the same place at the same time. And some, in, in a lot of ways, implausibly. So, um, I, you know, I, I mean, I guess one of them, just one of them could be the dragon, but you know, if times are changing and desperate times call for desperate measures, why not? Why not five? One of the things that's interesting is they have the whole idea that they were all born the right year, except for Nynaeve. Mm -hmm. they, so it makes me wonder if Nynaeve's history is accurate. Was well, and they also talk maybe. about the prophecies, you know, the, they've been listening to these prophecies for 3,000 years, years, getting yeah. translated and retranslated and, and passed from Aes Sedai to Aes Sedai. And, and, you know, we can look at our own world and, and see what we know of about 3,000 years ago and realize that, you know, it, what they know is probably not necessarily a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. It was interesting when I was watching it the second time I w had thought that I'm like, wow, we, we have this big point that it could be all five of them. But then I also remembered us talking about the fact that this has been a big point of the TV show and the series up to this point of the argument, who's it going to be? I'm like, Oh, maybe they're just throwing us a big, massive red herring at this point. Yeah. Very possible. So, so we've got one dissenter and four people on, on with the, uh, Voltron theory. Is that, I'm on that the fence. I'm You're on, on the, the fence. fence. Okay. You oh. came up with Voltron theory, dude. I know, but I'm still on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote it down I, just to I bookmark like it for theory. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, you know, the whole power of friendship story. <laughs> all for one and one for all. Yeah. And, and they talk a little bit and they talk about, uh, they, they drop a name Guitara and, and they're, they're talking about, uh, the, their, 
their secret and their plan that they have together. Uh, did anybody pick up on that? I did, and I did use the the X-ray. Thanks, Amazon. Um, looking at the general trivia right now, it says Tara was an Aes Sedai, but a foretelling at the moment of the dragon's rebirth. It was so powerful and shocking that the sister died, leaving Moraine, Moraine and Swan to decide what to do. Hey, I did your job there, Ark. Hey, um, you did. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Swan and... and uh, um, Moraine, when they were uh, accepted, which is the mid-level, uh, they start as novices, they become accepted, and they eventually become Aes Sedai. When they were accepted, they were serving Gatara Moroso, who was the Amarillin seat at the time. Uh, and Gatara um, had a, a, a foretelling where she realized that the dragon had been reborn. Um, she, you know, eyes went back up in the back of her head, and she she had this foretelling and then dropped stone dead afterwards. And uh, the only people in attendance at the time were Moraine and Swan. And I believe in the books, there was actually one other person there, the uh, keeper of the Chronicles at the time, but they were the only ones who knew. And so they set out on their own to find the dragon because they assumed they were the only ones who know, who knew for sure that the dragon had been reborn. And they did not want that information getting out to anybody else because they did not know who might use that information for ill. And that's what that whole background is about. Okay. So I'm sure having that in there and having it in the x-ray means that's coming up on a, on a, on a following episode here. We're going to get a flashback about that. Yeah. And uh, so Swan says, uh, well, the dragon, dragon might kill the dark one, or he might join the dark one. There's a 50, 50 chance there. And Moraine says, well, I'll kill any of them before I'll let them join the dark one. You know, I mean, did anybody think anything of, of that? Like, like the, the just complete ability of Moraine to say, I'm trying to save these people, but I will kill them in a heartbeat. I, don't I get that. Doubt but her. also if we're talking about the fact that, you know, the dragon's power will be like the sun to her. Can she like that? That seemed like a mm. promise of, of some ego to be able to think that, especially if all five of them are that she's going to be able to kill them all before they join the dark one. Well, it kind of goes back to the Terran Ferry thing of we really know that Moraine is trying to absolutely do whatever it takes to do what she thinks is the best for everyone. We know through and that damn she's the ruthless. Yeah, yeah, yeah I man. think it's not just about, you know, going while the Dark One is weak. I think it's going while these potential little dragon, the little dragonlets are also weak. Enough, just enough where she could take them if she has to. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about somebody with, with a lot of training versus somebody who has natural talent, but no training. Uh, so anyway, the, the end of their conversation, Moraine says, look, you have to exile me because they're trying to give me a desk job. And we both know I can't do the thing that we both know I'm actually doing if they give me a desk job. So Swan agrees, yes, we're going to have to exile you. And our next scene, uh, we're at the Hall of the Tower again. And uh, Moraine and Lan are uh, just walking through the hall, um, talking about the kids from the two rivers. And Leandrin just comes out of nowhere and says, oh, those two rivers kids, and starts unloading a whole lot of information about those two rivers kids that she really shouldn't have. Um, and uh, Moraine just decides, look, I'm not dealing with this, and uh, gets right up in Leandrin's face and says, I know about the man in North Harbor that you go to visit, and I will tell your sisters about him, and they will not be nearly as nice as I am. 
What did we think about this? Talk about an oh snap moment. I <laughs> loved this moment. Go Moraine. Like, don't mess with the people who have, you think you know secrets, honey, please. <laughs> I have <laughs> yeah. so many secrets on you. I've just told you the one I'm willing to re- reveal right now. This don't is... even ask the ones I'm yeah. not revealing right now. She has this spy network and can find things out, but she is terrible about knowing when to disseminate that information to who she dislikes or not. Like there's no yes. way she, should have been telling all of that stuff to Moraine at that moment. I think they're related. I was like, this is, this is their, the way they act around each other makes me think (laughs) that they are cousins at like, at least like you you definitely grew up together. They do call each other sister. We got uh, her noble title this time around too. We've talked about her. Like, remember she made the comment and we were all talking about uh, to the white cloaks about how she was from a noble house mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. got her noble title this episode, which was kind of neat. Yeah. I mentioned her last name and everybody gasped like that was a, a terrible thing to be. So obviously the whole concept of a fallen house is true. Yes. Her, her, her full name is the lady Moraine Damadred, which means nothing to any of you. So, so no. was the gasp because they recognized the name, or because the sisters are supposed to leave their 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 family and their names behind when they join the Aes Sedai? Um, I would say probably a little of column A, a little of column B. Because um, yeah, it's, it's like you when you know you're in trouble with mom and your middle name comes out. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! You did that in public? What? Oh yeah. boy. I mean, it, it, it's generally considered that that you use the honorific Sedai and and not a person's last name, and and but at the same time, there is also a little bit of a oh with that particular family name that you will find out later on. So uh, moving on, uh, Moraine goes in and uh, meets up with Loyal. Um, we see Loyal again. Uh, loyal greets her in proper Loyal fashion. Your name sings in my ears. Um, and Moraine Love says, "Thank." Loyal. Yes, everybody He's loves awesome. loyal. But she clearly has dealt with Ogiers before because her response is very much in their pattern of very speaking. So. It was mm-hmm. very cool to hear how easily she was able to speak back to him in a way that he would find like fitting. I yeah, that was very much her noble training. I saw yeah. that. I was I was going to say I wonder how much of that has to has to do with being a noble. How much of that has to do with being you know trained to be a an Aes Sedai spy master. Well, and also how much she's traveled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all we hear about is her traveling. How much yeah. time she spent with Ogier? We don't know. It was interesting that they call the Ogier the builders. And I had to go to the uh, shorts to find out that they were the ones that raised Tarvalon yes. and actually built the city. And it's kind of cool that although that's something that might be taken as a slur in some contexts, that they kind of take that as a, a prideful thing. That they weren't. Um, so, so in this world, Ogier stonemasons are are world renowned as as just the the world's best stonemasons. Um, humans just cannot match the stonemason work that Ogier do. Um, the it, it's been said that Ogier uh, stonemasonry looks like it it was just it it it's a piece of real life that just got frozen a moment in time. Whereas anybody else is just building a building, so they're you know, artisans, not it, very yeah, much so. humans are craftsmen. Yeah. yeah. So, so when somebody calls them builder, they take that very yes, that is that is what I am. I, I build much better than you do. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so uh, Moraine just talks with Loyal for a minute and and just says, uh, thank you for coming. Um, I, uh, I I appreciate it. I know that us humans are hasty. Sorry to be so hasty. Anyway, I'm going to be more hasty now, and, and I got to go do some other stuff, but meet me at this place. And Loyal agrees. Um, so then Moraine goes and meets up with Nynaeve and, and Egwene uh, in the Hall of the Tower. And uh, Nynaeve and Egwene reunite here, um, and they take them, uh, Moraine takes them both back into Swan's quarters where they meet with Swan and, um, a whole lot of comedy ensues in, in my opinion here, uh, <laughs> between Nynaeve and Swan, uh, Nynaeve kind of gives her a death glare and Swan is very nice and greets her very formally. And, and Nynaeve pretty much, you know, throws up the middle fingers like piss off and, and what are we thinking at this point? Well, the first thing I wanted to point out is when Nynaeve first enters the hall, she's kind of offhandedly talking with Lan and mentions that I don't know how someone can lead from a room filled that's not filled with wood and dirt. So, like, she still has a chip on her shoulder about being the wisdom and thinks that someone has to come from a more humble background in order to be able to lead. Mm-hmm. And I just, I found that so hilarious. Be like, you know, this, this girl hangs out in a hut of wood and dirt. Like right. you don't know this, but that's what's going on. So Mario. Yes. This is what I meant last week about. I wish Nynaeve would just like take a second and consider where she is and who's around her and the resources that she has, because if she would have just, relaxed and asked Swan about herself, she would have found out that Swan comes from the same kind of place she does, you know, with, you know, a parent going, don't forget where you came from, uh, you know, very humble beginnings where people do not like her, do not trust her. She would have found a kindred spirit and what she, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she still wouldn't have liked Swan. Maybe she still would have been like, actually, you're a sellout because you became one of them. And I'm real. I'm not a phony. I'm not a poser <laughs> like you are. But the point where she I was into had, the one power she, before being into the one power was cool. <laughs> she would have at least realized that, you know, there she has options and closing herself off to her options does like does her no no good you know just consider it sweetheart please yeah. well, <laughs> as not is so far painted herself as in any way as either tactful or forward thinking mm. in her interacting <laughs> with people she she is very rash she is very like spur of the moment which is interesting for her being the wisdom she's calm cool and collected when dealing with other people and their situations but when something scratches that surface of her you know, she becomes a spiky puffer fish, you know? Yeah. I read well, her as very defensive, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, totally. Mm, you know, yeah. like there's, yeah. when she first comes in the, in the room, um, rain bows to Swain and Egrain bows and, and Eve just stands there. She's like, I yeah. am not going to bow. And at the point where she's trying, but at the point where she's trying to storm out of the room, mm-hmm. Swain only raises one finger and everybody stops. Yeah. So as defensive as she is and as much she's trying to project this, I don't care for your authority. She still stops and listens. But if you noticed in that scene, she stops, she stares at that finger and gives that finger a death glare for a second because she realizes <laughs> that finger just brought me to, to a dead stop and I don't know why. And this is pissing me off. Yeah. <laughs> what 
in that moment also we we see that she clearly is still maintaining a lot of the hurt for her the one who taught her and yeah. everything that she went through at the tower being ignored yeah right. so she's she's kind of bringing that along that that uh just holding that grudge and it's sort of showing itself up in you know just kind of being a gatekeeper it's like you can't be a real magic user you're not in the mud and the dirt you know you're up in your ivory tower literally yeah yeah literally (laughs) and (laughs) yeah not knowing that yeah they're they are the same so she's sort of a rebel without a cause there and and Swan taps directly into that, and it's pretty much like, look, I don't care if you like me, I don't care if you like us, but the last battles are coming, we need warriors, and the best way that you have to help your friends in the last battle is get training from us, so just suck it up. And and I I think we, I think she may have finally started getting through to the naive at that point. What do you at think? least halfway. <laughs> She still has to uh, tell Moraine there at the end. Well, uh, we kind of got convinced, but, you know, throw that speech at us one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then our next scene, we go to the Hall of the Tower, um, and uh, this is Moraine's big exile scene. Um, Moraine walks in, uh, walks up to Swan on the throne and uh, kisses her ring. And uh, Swan passes down the sentence, which is you're exiled and you have to swear an oath on the oath rod to not return and to, to, uh, obey me. And An animate so, carbon rod. Yes. And so they pull out the oath rod and do exactly that. Um, and, and as you sussed out earlier, that is another Turangri all the channeling into it causes it to make those oaths binding. That is the same rod they use to, to take the three oaths when they are raised. I said, I, uh, David, yeah, so I just barely uh, realized that while she's taking this oath, um, she names Suwan in yes. her part of the oath yes, instead of saying the Amerlin seat. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting that her and uh, Egwene have the conversation about the person and the seat being the same name. Yeah. It's like, well, if I say Amerlin seat here, I have to be bound to whoever is sitting in that seat, yes. whether it's mm-hmm. Suan or not. But if I say Suan Sanchi, I am only bound to her. That's so that true. I did was it was very me. personal. And that was- that. It's like, I, this is the person that I will come back if called. You are the one that I'm obeying. That was a wedding vow. That was not. A, it was. Yes, it was. That was I not thought so a too. swearing of fealty to your leader. That was a wedding vow. She said, I will honor and obey. And she said, mm-hmm. and I will not return until um, you call me home. Not back to the tower, but home. Because mm-hmm. home is where Swan is. And it was her right. way of saying goodbye in that moment, too. Because I know she knew that she was not going to have a chance to actually say goodbye to her. And then using the same words that her that Swan's father used when she was going off to Tarvalon, mm-hmm. that was that was a nice little tug at the heartstrings there. And the, the touch of the fingers also got me. Yeah, yes. I noticed that the, the one finger just slide over to make a touch contact was was beautiful. And also the part where she was talking about the penalties for breaking her oath. She said that loudly so everyone else in the room could hear. Mm -hmm. So very much contrasted with 
the volume at which she said the oath itself, which was just for Swan. Mm-hmm. And, and I, a- uh, I was just overwrought. <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> Not to break the overwroughtness, but I also, I don't remember seeing that gold earring, pe- like the paint to the ear on uh, Moraine until that moment. It was so up close on the thing. I, I need to go back and look and see if I see it other places. I, I, I She's think it was just something that she she wore for the, the ceremony. It was, it was an interesting look. It could just yeah. be paint, but also I thought what an interesting idea of a molded gold outer piece to the ear yeah. would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to go back to what Siobhan was saying about that, that uh, oath, I wanted to talk about that oath for a moment because in this world... Uh, there are several oaths and and different oaths in different lands, and you know, the, the, and they're they're handled the same way we handle oaths in in our world. You know, and sometimes it's just a handshake agreement. Sometimes it's a little bit stronger. Sometimes it's it's you know, on uh, I swear on my mother's grave kind of thing. Um, and in this world, the oath that they used by the light and hope of salvation and rebirth and rebirth, I uh, naming the thing that you are swearing to. Or may the creator's face turn from me and darkness consume my soul. This is the strongest oath that you can swear in pretty much any land in this world. Uh, most people would rather die than break this oath. That's a double pinky swear is what yeah. that is. So the fact that they swore that oath and added the oath rod to it felt a little strange to me, but it really is saying this oath, it, you are not going to break this, this oath. Triple dog dare you. <laughs> yep. More or yeah. Less, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very clever politically and professionally for Moraine to swear to Swan specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's ousted, if she dies, then she doesn't know who is the next seat. Um, and that can mean permanent lifelong banishment in Moraine's case. If it's someone who just does not like her, like Leandrin. Um, and, you know, personally, yes, Siobhan was absolutely right. I noticed that it was very much, you know, a vow. What really stuck out to me was obey. And, you know, Moraine and Suan has very interesting, like, power dynamics in their relationships, like, for many different reasons. And I, you know, I saw obey as kind of like insurance. Like, Moraine is promising Suan that, you know, she's going to, she's going to listen. She's going to, you know, do her best to keep them both safe. And she's, you know, putting her trust in Suan to take the reins on whatever they're working on. Um, which I just found, you know, very, just very moving. Um, really speaks to the depth of their, you know, their relationship, their friendship. So, well, and Swan was very careful too that she put that little caveat on the end of until I call you back. Right. And it's like, well, if she's on her deathbed or something or she's getting ousted, she could just really quickly grab the oath rod or maybe even not and just say, hey, call Moraine back, get it over with. And then, and then it's gone at that point. It's a discretionary exile. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Moraine, uh, uh, then leaves the hall of the tower at this point. The sisters all turn their backs on her, um, including Alana, which was the one that that kind of hurt the most. Clean on this commendation ceremony. To turn, she dragged yes. her feet on that turn too. Yeah. And the second last was Leandrin. I think Leandrin was having a little bit of a gloat there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Too. I think I think she got exactly what she wanted. She um, because Alana 
you know, when they were meeting in, in the room, told Moraine, you are probably the best candidate for grabbing control of the seat. And now Leandrin's gotten her kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that, but I, I also got a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of like, what have I done? Did this work? Is this going to be good? And it also made me all the more wish to see what Leandrin's punishment was going to be. And then we didn't get that. Yeah, because Leandrin is, we talk about the cockiness of the Aes Sedai, Leandrin is way, way overconfident. Yeah. Um, you know, she's got some reasons to be confident, but it's it's been much. So our next scene, it turns out it's our final scene, uh, we see Moiraine walk right up to uh, what we find out is a waygate. Um, and uh, she rides up and, and everybody else from the party slowly rides up until we have everybody from Emmons Field or from uh, the two rivers. Excuse me. There I go doing that again. Reunited and it feels so good. Got the band back together. Yep. Um, then they let the horses go. Um, Loyal says that the horses would not survive in the ways. And Nynaeve is like, well, why are we following you in there? What's going on in there? And Maureen says, well, that's the quickest way to the eye of the world. And Nynaeve says, well, what's with the eye of the world? And Maureen says, that's where the Dark One is imprisoned. Uh, he's weak right now, so we're just going to go straight there and, and strike at the, at the Dark One. And Egwene's like, well, what about the ones amongst us who might not be the dragon? What's going to happen to us? And uh, Maureen's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Make, making an omelet, you got to break some eggs, you know, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I felt her then, uncertainty in that. Yeah. yeah. Like she and is like still how, not certain about anything. Right. Who the, who the dragon is, what everybody's strength is. She really had to tiptoe around that speech because she just didn't know what to yeah. say. Uh, and then uh, moving on, uh, Moraine goes up to the waygate and she does some very expressive channeling um and uh opens up the waygate i noticed um, something at that expressive channeling oh go There's ahead a celtic symbol of the triskel i saw that yeah when she was doing it mm. oh, okay. it's actually cool. a very it's a it's a symbol that has a huge meaning for me specifically and so when i saw that i'm like it's the triskel <laughs> okay so i wasn't sure if i was going to bring this up or not but since you just brought it up i will in the books, waygates do not work this way. Waygates are not these big pillars out in the middle of, the, of a field. They are, they actually look like a doorway, um, a rather large doorway. Um, and they, they are covered in what looks like carved vines and leaves. And the way to enter a waygate is you have to look through those vines and leaves and find the leaf of the Chora tree and place it in the middle of the waygate, and that will open the doors. And the leaf of the Chora tree is always described as a trefoil leaf, so it is a leaf with three lobes, much like that three-pointed star that we saw that, that, that she used to open it up. So I love that they kept that reference to the leaf of the Chora tree without actually using any of that. That is really interesting. 
So, so in my head, I pretty much figured, you know, the, this trefoil leaf probably looks just like the Canadian flag. So I just always imagined walking up to these <laughs> things and looking for the Canadian flag. Like, where's Canada? Where's Canada? There it is. Okay. Open the gate. Well, and it's <laughs> nice that they didn't go that route because the doorway covered in vines or the stone doorway that has to be magically opened is such a fantasy trope that's been used yeah. and overused and, and overused and this is different yeah, so it that is was very, nice. stargate. very interesting looking and, and <laughs> stargate yep, it was like stargate and honestly the the way gates that they used in the books felt very much like the entrance to mordor to me that's what i was thinking and, that yeah. or uh there's a few gates in um in the uh, chronicles of narnia that kind of have that mm, feel yeah. to them as well so yeah, I think that's definitely why they did that, just to to give themselves a, a little, make themselves feel special and give them a little distance from from other things that they would be compared to, obviously. So, but yeah, continuing on with our our recap, uh, we've got one one sentence left, and that's Matt doesn't come. <laughs> he sure does not. Not a small yep. sentence, I don't think. No, no, no. You know, I wasn't surprised. What's that going to do? And yeah, there was there was not even like a gesture towards it. There was no like m like attempted movement yeah. or anything. Like he just stood there and stared them down, so watched. I it have closed. a theory. Okay. My theory is, of all of them, Matt is the one who has experienced what it's actually like to have the darkness inside him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we saw him in the inn asking Rand to reassure him that he was not the one who killed the little girl because he didn't know. I think he is terrified that if he turns out to be the dragon, he does not know what the Dark One could potentially make him do. Oh, Moraine awesome. even said the uh, dagger was feeding off the darkness in him as much as, and he was feeding off it. So yeah, they, they were kind of cycling on each other, creating a feedback loop. Yeah. He said at one point, you don't want a dragon like me. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Good point. Mm -hmm. It's also an interesting take on that archetype because we, we said when we were looking at the trailers, we talked about it looked like he was the one who would go bad. We didn't know who he was or anything about him really at that point, but we were all like, oh yeah, he seems like the one who'll possibly betray everybody else and, and be the Edmund in, uh, in, um, uh, line the witch in the wardrobe or something along those lines, sell them off to the, to the, uh, the snow queen. But to see that person recognize that they are a weak chain and be like, I'm going to protect you. That's an interesting idea. I like that. And I get the sense that we're going to have this, um, Matt figuring out who he is moment in this next episode or the episode after that, where he really regrets not going with his friends and, and being with them. And then he's going to try and follow after them. I mean, Moraine even says that this is the shortest path, but that implies that there's other paths. So he can still get there. He just doesn't get to take the quick way. Yeah. Hmm. I have, um, it, it, it makes me think differently too. Of that scene where he's, he's walking and the kids bump into him and he snaps at them, get away from me. I'm, I'm no longer thinking, get away from me because you irritate me. I'm thinking, get away from me because I'm not safe. Right. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. Good thought. Yeah, because even though he had that, he was, he was very self-aware. He knew that there was something within him. He may not have known that it was coming from the dagger, but he knew that there was something going on. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, I'm going to pause, bring it back.
So we're going to start a new segment now. Um, I figured at the end of, of our recaps, I would just uh, open up the floor and let you guys, uh, if you have any any questions you have about the episode or little things about it that you want to ask me or any uh, notes that you had that, that we didn't quite address or that you couldn't find a way to bring up and you want to bring it up now or, or just anything else that you might want to discuss about the episode that we didn't get to. Uh, uh, does anybody have anything? Yeah, I actually wanted to bring up the music um, through the whole series, but specifically this episode when Moraine is galloping out of Tarvalon, just that swell and how perfect it was that it brought me sadness that she was having to leave her friends and, and the city, but then also just so much energy for what is about to happen of this big meetup they're about to have. And the music they've been using very choral um it's all been perfect it there has it doesn't hasn't been out of place hasn't been um repeated from other shows it's very different from what you've seen and it, it's really been nice throughout the whole series oh agreed whenever uh the entrance music for the uh for the Emerlin seat uh the 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 swan song if you will uh <laughs> That was gorgeous. That just had all the all the majesty of what was happening on screen. It was, yeah. The music, the music has music has been outstanding throughout this entire thing, but really on this episode, really stood out. Oh, I agree absolutely. Um, and the the song that you were talking about, I believe that's called uh, Mashiara, uh, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is an old tongue word meaning beloved or something to that effect. Um, which is very fitting for this episode. Um, and, and that was the track from the soundtrack. They, they released the soundtrack before the season. And of course I, I listened to it front to back, back to front as many times as I could. And this was the track off of that, that soundtrack that really stood out to me also. It's, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And, and it reminds me mostly of a, a band that I really like called, uh, Afro Celt sound system, which mm -hmm. kind of blends, musical genres from from all over the world together into one and and it's just gorgeous so, are the yeah. chorals actual words or are yes. they singing intel intelligibly uh no every every choral in that you have heard through the series is actually being sung in the old tongue and if it is if you were to translate what they are singing it is actually germane to the sing the scene that they are singing about that's really cool and impressive yes. And that is something that we will probably cover in the off season when, when we, uh, uh, have a few other episodes that are not reaction episodes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that is something that Lauren Balfi, the, the composer has said that he, he wanted to make sure that it was done in the old tongue and that it was actually germane to the scenes, almost like an opera nice. rather than just music that they, they threw up, you know? Very cool. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the music. Um, does anybody have anybody else have anything that they, they wanted to bring up from this episode or just in general? Yeah. Um, some meta feelings, I think, you know, mm -hmm. um, going back to when we're introduced to Suwan the second time um, as an adult in the hall, you know, I spent not necessarily the first go round, but um, in between my first and second watchings, you know, thinking how, you know, obviously our concepts of race don't translate to this universe. It's, it's a different universe. 
But since we have them, so did Jordan. Like, I think it does a disservice to kind of discount, like, how our readings of Blackness and whiteness matter in fictional spaces. Mm -hmm. And, you know, meeting Suwan, seeing, you know, the hoopla that went down in the hall with Leandrin and Moraine, you know, I, you know, there's a very tricky balance that goes on um, when you're a black woman being the most powerful person in the world, which Suwan is currently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what it means as like a black viewer who sees her being respected, honored, even feared. And what we see as a white space or at least a white dominated space and having that reverence manifested in language, you know, that uses the family. She is mother, she's queen. Um, and these mostly white women are her daughters. And, you know, for me, that was a little wonky. So it's like, yes, I appreciate seeing this very powerful, very graceful, very regal black woman, you know, being the head. But also <laughs> when you call a black woman the mother, like there's just so much like real world history and like cultural like weight that goes into it. Mm. Um, especially if she's a person who's either set up to fail or might inevitably fail no matter what she does. So like kind of a continuation of this, like working in nonprofits, like what you see, especially lately in nonprofits and progressive spaces, you know, there are a lot of orgs who put a black woman or another woman of color in a position of power during a time of transition. And so the org will put this woman of color in power as either the president or, you know, a very high profile leader and go, Hey, look, we're listening to Brown and black and brown voices, black lives matter. You know, we're doing the work. Look, we're, we're paying attention. We're really trying to change and do better only like to punish her. Mm -hmm. If you know, that doesn't work out or if there's backlash, you know, and because, you know, it's very difficult and chaotic to adjust the space um, that's been aligned so strongly with whiteness and, you know, all that's attached to that. And then you get the black or brown woman who is blamed for the fallout. So I remember, you know, thinking the first time when we see Moraine and Swan in the hut together. And I'm like, I hope that Swan doesn't die. And not because, like, it might not matter in the story, but because, like, of course she might die because that's what happens in real life. You know, somebody has to get punished for something that's not really her fault or, you know, something that's out of her control. Um, but I do think that the writers here, the directors are handling this like very well. Like ultimately, like I have no complaints. Like I'm, I'm like, okay, this black woman who's being called mother and these are her daughters. Do I like that? Mm, maybe not. But, you know, it's, it's being handled very delicately and respectfully. And, you know, I like the fact that, you know, it's not mother as in mammy, it's mother as in this is someone who has power and is revered. This is a matriarch. And, you know, it's, it's, I have very, like, I guess there's no loose, these are very loose thoughts. There's no really tie, tie it all together. Um, no, no, this is this is absolutely fantastic. This is this is the content I was looking for. So yeah, please continue. <laughs> I, that's all I got for now. Check in next week for more thoughts. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, I I so I I wanna say that that before you guys all started watching this, I pegged each of you with a favorite character. Um I and and I think now I'm I can tell you, Samaria, that I have pegged you 
as choosing Swan as your favorite character. And, and you got and it right. I think I nailed it. So, <laughs> are you two for two now? I think so. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because you 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 already picked up on Tom as your favorite character, and I oh, yeah. absolutely, I th- you know that was a, a no brainer. That that was an obvious one. <laughs> and and yeah, I was I picked out Swan for you, and and I was dead on on that one. So I'm I'm waiting to see if I'm correct on on the others. Heart eyes immediately. It's like yes. <laughs> After this that, episode, I think everyone else can go for me. <laughs> So have have I seen my favorite character yet? Has that has that favorite character appeared yet? Um, no. Do we want? Okay. I was going to say, do we want to give that information because that could influence <laughs> the answer? Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Well, I mean, I've 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 got my favorite characters among who's already been there, but I don't have one that I just like lock on and associate with. Like, yeah. yes, you no, know, no, I, no, I, there, there's there's that character for you, and and that character is is not a a main main character but i know that you're going to identify with the character i ho- i hope that the character is included in the show cool cool look forward to it and and did you say lan oh yes definitely especially after this episode and and his uh, cheeky remarks and his conversations with Nynaeve and mm-hmm. the disarming of um rand without any thought mm-hmm. definitely at this point for me oh yeah he is a badass Lan was not who I had chosen for you, so to, I, I'm, I'm still gonna gonna hold on and, and wait. <laughs> it could change. I still think, I still think the the you you are going to end up identifying with the character that I've chosen for you. <laughs> um, and now let's move on to mailbag. Uh, we I've I've mailbag. given out our, our email a few times, and uh, we've finally gotten some some fan mail. So Yay. if you want to send in your fan mail, you can send that to watchpartywot at gmail dot com. That's watchpartywot at gmail. Um, and let me read this one. Uh, this is from our our fan Preslav. Um, Hi, Watt Watch Party. Love your podcast. Really interesting to hear a fresh perspective with no book content context also ruark you are a rock when it comes to not spoiling great job (laughs) and all i have to say to that is is all i have to do is not say anything that's like the easiest job on the planet (laughs) i don't know man i see your expression sometimes (laughs) (laughs) there are are tears gathering in your eye inside of your cheek is just I, I'm definitely chewing my tongue on some occasions. That's for sure. <laughs> Start keeping the secret keeper tally. <laughs> right. Uh, so Preslov continues. And the fun fact in episode seven of our show, when we discussed episode five of the Amazon show, you made this connection of Leandrin being a snake and pointing Nynaeve to the garden and the fruit of knowledge and, and all of that, yada, yada, yada. Uh, well, in Bulgarian, the name of the persimmon fruit is literally an apple from heaven. So it all works out. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think we were absolutely dead on when we were picking up on that. Nice. That is so cool. And he goes on to say, I really enjoy your content. I hope, hope you have many seasons to come. So thank you very much for that, Preslov. You, you yes. got uh, our first fan mail on the air. So congratulations to you. Ooh, and uh, thanks, we, thanks for the letter. Thank you. And if you want to send in a letter again, that's uh, watchpartywot at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that gets us to the end of the episode. So we're just going to wrap up right here. As always, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret, Secret Island headquarters. Thanks, Michael and Jen. Thanks, thank Michael you. and Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very kindly. 
And of course, huge gargantuan thanks to Jordan Rennells for making us sound good. Thank you, Jordan. Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. A real one, Jordan. The myth, the legend. <laughs> and remember that uh, Etsy shop that we're advertising for, that's Jordan's. Uh, so go check them out uh, for Cats Boutique. That's the number four, Cats with a K, Cats, for Cats Boutique on Etsy. And now, final word from our panel. You're getting exiled from the White Tower. What did you get exiled for? I talk too loud. <laughs> Snoring. I got to tell you, if I had to put up with Leandrin's shit every, on a daily basis, I'd have punched her right in the mouth by there now. There you I go. Have no chill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with job. probably pranks. Yeah, yeah, I can see you getting getting shoved out for pranks. A whoopee cushion on the Amarillo seat. <laughs> I said some ish about the seat, and they were right behind me. <laughs> 